Welcome everyone. I am Jeffrey Goodman, Director of Marketing and Development for the YMCA of Northwest Louisiana. We are here for Shreveport Bossier, my city, my community, my home. Today's guest is Logan Lewis, who uh, I was just telling him he's a bit of a renaissance man. He's got a lot going on. So let's get in there and talk about what, what's happening in the world of Logan Lewis. Well, thanks. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Well, Logan, on, and if I make mistakes on details, just correct, but on February 1st, I believe, of this year, you became the new executive director of Red River Revel, Inc. Red River Revel, Inc. is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that brings annual events to Northwest Louisiana, including Red River Revel, Cork, the Shreveport Farmers Market, and Shreveport Brew. Talk to me about the Revel. Why is this festival important for our community? What makes it great? And how will it be even better in the years to come? <laughs> the full pitch. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, uh, yeah, all your facts are correct. Um, you, you hit them all in the head. Uh, awesome. I don't know if I could have said it any better myself. Uh, so I did take over in February, and the Revel is, uh, it is a lot of different things to different people. Um, but essentially most people focus on the nine-day festival itself. And I believe it's important uh, for our community to increase our quality of life, to expose people to art. I mean, in our mission statement, it says that, you know, uh, it's primarily education-focused, a celebration of the arts. And we do that in many different ways for people of all ages and all types. And I think that the to be able to have this festival, which is lo longer running than many other festivals in our state, uh, it's one of the, the longest running. Uh, longer insane. running than you've been alive. That's correct. That's correct. Just barely. But yes, that's uh, it is. It is. And it's had its ups and downs. It's been through many phases over the years. It's been in different locations. Eventually, the city of Shreveport, um, you know, felt the need to develop a space for festivals like ours and like let the Good Times Roll Festival and others who have been around for a while. So they created Festival Plaza f to house our functions and so um, we're really blessed to be in the space that we're in you know we actually my office is in Festival Plaza at the Rail Depot we work very closely with our Shreveport uh, Public Assembly and Recreation Department um, you know I like being in downtown uh, it kind of in 2022 you know it used to be that that was where everybody needed to be to work but because of just sort of the sprawl of our city it almost feels like being a renegade you know and we're it's like the downtown against the rest of, of the city and uh, so we kind of have a ragtag band of people that are like-minded and we're all you know uh, trying to find ways to draw people to come back down there and so um, you know the revel itself is is been through I think four directors now um, and I've learned a lot since starting. I took the first, you know, two or three months just meeting with two or three people a day and listening and asking a lot of questions and trying to find or diagnose where the revel was at. And um, and I think that consent, you know, things started, sort of, some sort of themes started to rise to the top, you know, and become more common. And some of those being that, you know, the people who were involved with it felt like we needed to take a fresh perspective or change a little bit and, and also that we, we still needed to you know have our core values but also be a little bit more um, 
eyes wide open about who and what or who our community is and what they want. And so, so talk to me a little bit about what those core values are and talk to me a little bit about what that means, the fresh perspective. And well, so, I, I mean, to me, uh, just growing up in North Louisiana and, and, and always being aware or attending, you know, what's happening at the Rebel. I do think that tradition is important, and I think that there are some things that well, the Rebel itself is kind of inevitable. Like, people know it's going to come. It's going to happen. And so, um, you know, there's sort of a comfort in that. That, that's, that it continues to, to, to march on, and that there's at least a level of expectation about maybe the quality of the artists that we are able to draw. Um, you know, the relationships that have been built over the years. I hear stories from time to time where, you know, there's an artist that was recruited by one of the former executive directors, and she's been coming now for the last 30 years and developed relationships with some pretty important people in our community, so much so that now she doesn't stay in hotels when she comes to the Rebel. She stays at their house, you know, and it's in Shreveport has a very uh, special place for a lot of those artists because of the time spent here and all the relationships that they've built and the art that they've sold. Um, but at the same time, you know, some of those things that become, um, you know, expected can also run the risk of becoming sort of just rote and it happens over and over and it's the same thing or it gets stale and that's one of the things that I heard a lot and I think that it's not that difficult to be able to do both things be fresh but also have some things you expect and it's in the subtle changes that we can make maybe it's the site or just in the process or the policies that we have the way that we uh, present the rebel from a marketing standpoint goes a long way towards people's expectations even if what we were going to do would be the same either way. And so, um, you know, my time at the Independence Bowl has taught me that greatly uh, and about how just exactly how you frame a conversation, you know, at, about yourself and to the community and what people here come to expect based on, you know, that campaign, that plan, or how you, you know, how you draw it up, you know, what's the, what's the look, the feel, and things like that. So. Um, you know, I've been in, in some type of live event stuff or business my whole life. You know, I think I told you the story. I was 16 years old. I booked my first show. I didn't tell my parents. Signed a contract for like, I think it was $1,000 maybe for this band to come from California and play in Ruston. And I called the city and got the downtown park reserved, got the paperwork to pay taxes. We like, you know, lifted some construction fencing from my friend's dad's business and set up, you know, down there and, hire, you know, we hired sound and we got, you know, we, we took money and my parents showed up. They were shocked that we were taking money and they're like, who's in charge of all this? And we are, you know, we made enough money to pay the bank. Now we're making money. And they just, they were just like, I mean, I knew they would never let me do it if I asked. So and we just did it. And ever since then, I've been, you know, sort of in either it's playing music or, you know, being around it. I'm a huge fan of uh, the music part of the arts. This is like my, it's my baby, it's my favorite thing. And so it's been, if I'm not, you know, playing music, I spend time watching other people do that. And um, so this, you know, it, I took a weird path to get here, you know, going, going through sports and, and, and learned a lot about how to put on an organized event through New York University or working at the Independence Bowl. And now I finally landed here in the, on the art side of it, and I think that, you know, 
it was easy to see coming in from the outside, not having just, you know, continually done this year over year over year. And sometimes when that this happens for anybody, when you come in from the outside and people say, well, we do this, this, and this, and they've never just asked this simple question, well, why? <laughs> you know, why are we doing it this way? Um, and that's kind of the way I looked at it, you know, is sort of uh, just trying to be as naive and newborn as possible um, so that we could maybe address things from a different perspective. And I'm excited about some of the things that we've been able to develop because of asking those questions. And I think that people uh, in our community will also be excited about that as well. And I know you're, I mean, we're, we're four months from, a little over four months from the time you first started and we're, I don't know, three, four, five months from the actual festival of this right. year. Can you talk a little, I mean, I'm sure you're still fine tuning what some of those changes or some of those new um, aspects are, but can you, can you give us some sense of uh, sure. maybe what will feel different, look different, sound different at the 2022 Revel? Yes. I mean, long term, there are big picture things that I would like to do. I mean, my, when I was, you know, I mentioned I was at the Independence Bowl before, and uh, I don't know if it was ever really part, it was, certainly was never part of my job description, but I did all the graphics for all the signage that we had in the stadium and that was not a skill that I came in to the Independence Bowl with. I didn't know how to, to you know use Adobe Suite and I didn't know how I certainly didn't know how to, to you know be a visual artist on a computer but I picked that skill up um, through practice and so I would like to see the Rebel have you know sort of an overhaul at least in the way that we uh, our site looks, you know, from a signage standpoint, more uniform signage, less hodgepodge things. But those aren't, you know, you can't just like throw everything out and start over. It's a pretty hefty expense, so it'll take several years to get there. Um, and that's, and then maybe some of the, the way we lay the site out, I would like to see us change. You know, we used to go all the way down to Riverview uh, Park or is it theater. Theater. No, yep. theater. There's the it's Riverview. It's got to be Riverview Park. It's where the outside stage is. Okay, you know, on the river yep, there. Yep, yep. Um, and and they they've shrunk it down just to you know Festival Plaza proper. Uh, maybe I'd like to see us expand just a little bit more. Um, there were some elements of the of the past that I would like to see us bring back. You know, and we can't do that with our current setup. But we can't do everything. You know, in eight months, and <laughs> so. Um, you know, I told myself in the very beginning, I didn't want to bite off more than I felt like we could chew. And, and I think we've reached that point where I have to like focus only on what we want to do now and not, I got to stop. It's hard for me to not just generate ideas. Um, is that I just, I love doing that. You know, and my, and my friends that my like really good friends that were my coworkers that have been know this about me, that I would just like clap my hands and walk off and go, I have an idea, you know, and they're like, more work to do, <laughs> more work for us, you know. But um, so this year, there are a couple of things, and I don't really mind, you know, talking about them, even though we haven't necessarily fully like press released them out, um, just because they're, you know, it's I mean, you know, being honest, this is, this is our intention, right? And so it's not like uh, I don't think anybody's going to come back and be like, well, on this podcast, you said, you know our intention uh, for some of them, and some of them are signed and it's gonna happen, but you know, I think the first one that comes to mind that's the biggest change is uh, we're adding, we signed a partnership with a company called Tappet and adding RFID wristbands 
payment option to our uh, coupon structure. So, you know, we'll still sell coupons, but I think we're going to split that between coupons are cash only, no refunds, and wristbands are card only, and we will actually refund the ones you don't use if you use a wristband. And it, you can't do that with coupons. It's impossible, you know, if you've got two people selling coupons in a booth and one turns the other way, somebody could rip six, you know, pages of coupons out of their book and then put them in their pocket and come back and return them later. And now you've got one volunteer who looks back and looks like they stole and you have another one who's actually stealing. It's, it's a physical currency that, you know, invites too much fraud. But with the wristband technology, and, and it's a lot of people don't really know what they hear, they don't know, or they see it, and they're like, it's becoming more prevalent. So I think that it won't be too far-fetched for the rebel to, to go this direction. You see Splash Kingdom and, and Tree of Island, my son's school did it for field day. They had these wristbands. It's got a small uh, chip in the wristband that uh, is not sorting personal information. It's it has its own like account number. And so what you would do when you come to the, the booth is you would pay with the card. And we have these mobile devices that Tabit brings and we put in there that this person just paid, you know, $40 or 40 coupons. And they put that in and they tap it to that RFID. That RFID chip now recognizes I've got 40, right? And that device that they, they you know, they or actually it's the other way around. The device through the internet has got a record that this particular wristband has 40 coupons and so i go buy a turkey leg and i just show my wristband yeah and you would hit the device you know that they have right and it's five five dollars whatever it is or five coupons and you just tap the device and you're paid um it makes it easy you don't have to keep up with a bunch of coupons you could buy you know um uh, you could put money on several wristbands and hand to your kids and let them run off and you know they don't have to keep up with the paper coupons um, you, can, you can come back and use it every day throughout the festival. And the way that we are going to execute this uh, is because there's a lot of options. We could just keep the money at the end, which is what we do with coupons now. You know, And I'm sure there are some people in our camp that would rather just keep the money. But I've always been on the mind that we should be customer first. We should be thinking about what do people, um, you know, what do they experience from the time they leave their doorstep to the time they return. And so... Um, and how can we make that experience the best experience? And so I went to Festival International and I met their executive director and he drove me around in his golf cart and showed me their operation where they do this exact same thing. And this is the only type of payment that they take. And he said, you know, yeah, after the festival's over, we refund people's money. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. So I did it. I went and spent, I put $50 on the, the wristband and I did purposely didn't spend all of it because I wanted to see how that worked. And sure enough, I mean, I didn't have to do anything. You know, afterwards, they refunded all but five dollars of that the, the money that I didn't spend, and the 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 little fee was where it just clicked for me. It's like, okay, this is how they pay for each wristband, and people put more money on it. They have more money on it. You're allowed to spend more, and it's better for them, better for the fans. It becomes easy, you know, for people to do. Um, and you know maybe they intend to come back and something happens and they can't and they don't have to go online and request a refund or anything like that we're just going to take care of it for them and i think that once people get used to the ease of doing it it will be uh their favorite thing they're gonna love it you know and i'm excited about the revel like sort of really taking a dive in this because you know other people have in the community other businesses or events but not fully into like the technology that we're that you know with all the devices and all these wristbands and 
potential to sponsor and all that. There's so much to it. Um, and, and it's, you know, I mean, Austin City Limits does. I mean, every other festival has this type of payment thing. So to bring it to Shreveport and have the Revel sort of lead the charge on that, I'm really excited about. So tell me, I'm going to jump in for a sec. I'm curious, this isn't one of my questions, but listening to you talk, tell me your first Revel memory. Tell me your earliest Revel memory and tell me your favorite Revel memory or experience so far in your life. Um, so if I came to the Revel when I was young, it was you know, from Ruston because I grew up there. And um, I think the, f- the earliest memory I have would probably be one that a lot of people would share and that's seeing trout fishing in America. I mean, they're kind of like the, the staple. They're not with us this year. Uh, the schedule did not work out, but um, Are we so Old Cider Festival Plaza? Um, you know, I don't think Plaza had been built yet. Yeah, it was an old site just in downtown. Um, along the river. Along the river, yeah. And um, and then my favorite Revel memory. Well, you know, last year, last year before I became the director, I actually played the Revel for the first time. So that probably be my favorite one. Uh, we opened up for Samantha Fish, who I'm a huge fan of. She's a great guitar player. And uh, we, you know, and I, I brought in like, because my guys that play with me, they kind of rotate and they got a bunch of different people that I play with. And so I brought in sort of a, um, a hired gun guitar player that, you know, is like my ace in the hole and made better than I am. And, and so we played, you know, 40 minutes set and just, it was all our best stuff, all of our original. I think we played one, maybe even played one cover and then, um, and we rocked it. It was fun. And then we got done. And we, you know, we have to. You have to like. It's like throw and go. You have to hurry up and get all your gear and move out of the way for the, you know, the next people. And Maggie Kerner was coming up next, and then Samantha Fish. So we finished, and I was moving all my stuff off, and I put my, was put my guitar away, and I, you know, started to pick it up and turn. And I turned around, and Samantha Fish is standing right there, and she's like, "You always like to rock and roll," and I couldn't. You know, I was just like, uh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, that's probably my favorite memory. It was really cool. Um, I enjoyed that uh, very much. Love it. Oh, yeah. I actually have more new things if you Okay, want. yeah. Yeah, okay. Give me, so, give me a couple. So, uh, Rapid Fire, we are, um, we are going to, uh, we're going to work a corporate hospitality tent and viewing platform for each night. So, a business or an entity or a group of people can purchase a block. So, you would get like 40 to 50. We're still working sort of on the pricing for all this. And you would have your own. I took this as the idea from the Independence Bowl and their hospitality tents where you have your own space um, that's exclusive with, you know, all the food and beverage included. And then you have like an exclusive space that's a viewing platform that's raised up that you can sort of see on the same level as the stage. And we're going to do those every day and then, or at least every evening um, for each headliner or I guess headliner plus maybe an act or two. And then, well, we're not using that space during the day, right? So we decided to try to find a way to monetize it. And so on Saturdays, not Sundays, but on Saturdays, we were going to do a jazz brunch with bottomless mimosas and some food um, in that space and sell tickets to that. We've never done anything other than the $5 ticket. So this is new territory for us. Um, We've never had a VIP or anything like that. So this is basically the Rebel just sort of dipping its toe in it. And then also, um, I have been meeting with people all over downtown. Like I said, we've got sort of a, a group of renegades down there that really want to like, you know, create a new downtown, um, or at least a, a more vibrant one, or maybe recreate the vibrant downtown that we used to have. 
And so we are working together to program outside of Festival Plaza during our nine days, and we're encouraging them. For the first time, the Revel is actually looking outward rather than just looking inward. And we want people to throw after parties or counter-programming, and we want to work with them to do that. So if we have programming that kind of fits one uh, group of people or a demographic, we want outside of downtown maybe somebody to do something that's counter-programmed to that so that there's still something for everybody. And, and all the different businesses and venues downtown um, that we've met with so far are very excited about that. And then in addition to that, um, we're developing a plan to... Uh, to have a shuttle that goes around downtown so people can get from these places to these places really quickly. Um, again, that's being customer first. We want to address uh, parking and security. So we're working with SPD to also in that shuttle route have additional security in downtown so that people can park essentially anywhere, feel safe about it, get on a free shuttle and ride it around downtown and go to the Revel, go to eat dinner, go, you know, they can go to another concert or another show at the Robinson or you know at the Strand and, and not have to walk. You know, uh, at all, and, and and feel like really good about it during the revel. So, um, I think, the, you know, there's some other smaller things, but those are the big ones. You know, those are really the big ones. Those are great, yeah. all of them. <laughs> I love it. All right. So, next question: In your new role, as well as in your previous role, working for six years as the director of marketing and memberships for the Independence Bowl. You have been in the middle of some of the most important events this community has to offer. Talk to me about your views of community. You obviously see the value in bringing people together. Who taught you this sense of community, or how did you come to determine that building community is important? That's an easy one, because uh, I mean, as you as you started to you know sort of reach home on the question, the first person that popped in my mind was my grandfather, E.J. Lewis. He was, to a lot of people, one of the most important figures in their life. He coached football at Louisiana Tech for about 30 years, and my grandmother, uh, Dean Lewis, was the first dean of admissions. She was in that role um, for 30 years as well. And Ellen's a bulldog, by the way. That's right. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, together they were a recruiting team for – Louisiana Tech football and for the university and I, I don't know if there were any better ambassadors for that school uh, there are certainly there might be but they're certainly in you know the upper echelon of people who uh, made sacrifices for and loved the university more than anybody the community that they built was one built on honesty and love and I feel like you know the things that they imparted into me. I did not really learn the lessons until later in life, which you know any great parent or grandparent hopes to do. You know, for their for for their children and their grandchildren. It's interesting now. I think back about certain things or certain you know uh, circumstances and how they handled them, or even specifically what their advice was. It didn't. It rang true to me in one sense as a young person but then came back to me later and there's a deeper layer, you know, and so... Give me an um, example. Well, you know, my grandfather, he... There was one time where um, he talked about balance and it was because I was kind of, you know, talking about renegade and not the greatest sense at the time um, in college and I had made mistakes and I was like lazy or oversleep, missed classes, taking me too long to finish maybe party a little too much, things like that. And he talked to me about balance and how 
you know, when you have stress in your life, you might, you know, turn to other things to balance you out. But ultimately, you know, balance comes from within. It comes from, you know, what your desires, what you want. And, you know, at the time I took that as like, okay, I have to like balance my social and, and my school life so that I can finish. But then later on, and now, and, you know, that word came up again when I was at Festival International, actually. And I found myself driving back from South Louisiana after doing that in Jazz Fest, thinking about this one incident that happened there for the director of the Festival International. And he said, man, everything's going to have balance, you know, and he handled it in a very mature way. And I, and I started to think about, like, how my grandfather, when he was talking about balance, he, he not didn't just mean, like, you know, get your schoolwork done. He was talking about balance within yourself, but also balance for others, balance for the community around you, and how do you manage maybe um, an overzealous volunteer versus uh, a business owner who just is trying to do best for their business and create, you know, um, a sense of harmony in those things. So it's interesting, like, you know, I guess maybe with time and with knowledge and perspective, lessons kind of come back on you and, and, and you get you relearn them all over again. I think that, you know, I am a very positive person. I do, I, I told somebody this week that I realize that a lot of the things that I'm telling you are altruistic, but, you know, things don't change for the better without some sense of naivety about the way that this all works, right? And if you don't have a positive force who looks at sort of the, those who've been around for a long time and just feel like, you know, this is the best we can do, um, who, some people might not like that, you know, you're just going, well, we could just do better, you know, but I'm new, I'm young, and I have a deep heat sick for those kind of things. I can handle disappointment in my community for a long time to come, so I'm willing to just smile at it and say, no, let's just keep, let's just move past that. You know, we think we've reached the end here of what we can accomplish, but I think we can go a little bit farther. And for me, it's about, it's about collaboration, right? So that's why this Rebel Plus, which is what I'm calling the downtown slate of, of experiences that we're going to add to our schedule is important. Um, it's part of the same idea. It's, it's not just that we need to program everything and everything needs to be about us. I think a lot of times in our community we think that nobody can have our time, right? We can't do things on the same day because we're not big enough to support it. The truth is, especially now in 2022, um, after you know being in lockdowns in 2020 and part of 2021, you see multiple events, new things springing up and happening all at the same time, and everybody's still making money. And so I go, I just look at it honestly and say, we can do that, you know, and we should work to support each other. For me, you know, being a downtown and with the Revel, we should, you know, fence that off and we should collaborate with people who are there. The way I see it is, you know, that we, we have uh, an opportunity to claim downtown for the Revel but we don't have to program all of it. That's money we don't have to spend if somebody's gonna have an after party and hire a national talent that fits with what we're doing the same day. It all becomes synergy. And I think I've seen you know, downtown festivals in other cities have success when the businesses and the festival itself work together for a, a bigger cause. And so that's what I'm trying to inspire to people. When you talk about you know the importance of, of community. It's been interesting too, you know, when I was at the Independence Bowl, obviously a lot of people have a lot of opinions in, in our community and I've been through, I started the in 2016 was the last year that we had Camping World. And so, you know, I didn't 
I kind of said, well, whatever we've done in the past, and this is in September when I started, so it was kind of late in the year. So whatever we've done in the past, we seem to do that again. And I got the rest of the stuff renewed, and we sort of kind of went with it. And I asked a lot of questions, and we did the game. And then, um, and then the title sponsor just didn't treat us very well. They left, and they kind of left a bad taste in everybody's mouth on the way out. It made us look bad, you know. And that was my first year, right? And from there, after that, I kind of said, not again. We're not doing this again, you know. And and it, and it, everything changed for the better after that point. Now, not because of me. I think that the, the staff and the people at the bowl saw a, a, be, a better vision. And you see, you know, two title sponsorships sold while I was there. We changed the way that our brand is viewed. You know, we went through two different branding campaigns one for the foundation and then one and then two actually three then two for the two title sponsors and you saw the opinion public opinion of the bowl sort of at least maybe not the whole community is like all gung-ho about going to the independence bowl but but for sure a lot of the negativity that would just come you know out of nowhere for no reason has gone away um and people have found other targets to put that to um and I think there's different ways to handle it. We actually had, for a season, we had a pretty aggressive strategy where we just wouldn't let people talk trash to us. And we would talk trash back, you know. And <laughs> it actually had the, the right effect because once we begin to, to defend ourselves, you know, to just random negativity with humor, you know, and, and a little bit of trash talk back, but humorously so, not insulting, other people would come in and say, no, 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 they would come to our defense. It, it was like if we didn't stand up for ourselves, nobody else was going to do that, you know. And then you start to find out, oh, my gosh, there's other people who feel like I do, that this is this negativity is not really what we want, you know. And I feel like there's a lot of – a lot of our community does feel that way. We let the fear of, you know, being, you know, also targeted with negativity – to keep us silent, you know, uh, in, in many ways from speaking up. And I think that um, it takes groups like the Independence Bowl or the Rebel or, and, and other community leaders to push back on that and say, no, we're not going to stand for that. I asked a similar question to a different guest recently, and when you're talking, it made me think about it. So play act a little bit with me, but um, I think we, you know, we, I experienced what, what you just said most often just when people start talking badly about the community period, mm-hmm. not just the Independence Bowl, but yeah. have negative opinions about Shreveport Bossier or negative opinions about this city or this area. Right. So, you know, you, Logan Lewis, are at a, at, a, at a dinner party with a bunch of prospective Revel donors, and all of them start talking poorly or badly about Shreveport Bossier. You know, how do you how do you not stay silent how do you how do you redirect that conversation or what does that look like what if you're if you're trying to be proactive and 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 suggest a a different way of thinking or talking uh what, what does that sound or look like well i mean i guess it would depend on the person for me but you know, I always feel like you get out what you put into it, right? And so throughout, I mean, yesterday on the radio, they had this old audio, they played it many times on the radio about, you know, how President Lyndon Johnson just 
you know, hated Shreveport because they said bad things about him in the paper. And he wouldn't give us a post office that was allocated in the budget, specifically pulled it out because people talk negatively about him in the newspaper. Um, now, that was a long time ago, and who knows what, you know, what and why, you know, there's no telling. But I would say that, you know, the negativity itself only breeds more negativity. And so, um, you know, I try to find myself being, and this is what I would tell someone, is I try to find myself being a, uh, a positive force against this negativity and finding other like-minded people to do that as well. One of the things that I, I this is just my diagnosis uh, uh, about the community itself is that, you know, at least about that part of it, the negativity, is that and it's unique to here. Like, I know people are negative across the country, but this unique Northwest Louisiana negativity uh, is, some of it is not unfounded. You know, we are at the other opposite end of the state from where most of our funding in the state goes. And we get forgotten about a good bit. Um, when the business opportunities arise for the state, they're certainly we're certainly not the first place that they look to put that business, right? And so it's it can be frustrating to feel like, you know, the other side is the little brother, right, in a lot of ways. But I think that the thing that we always do here that's not good is focus on the things that we don't have and not the things that we do. And if I could compare it to, let's bring up Lafayette, for example, um, it's one of the things about them that I envy so much, and I also hate it. I mean, I hate it. It makes me sick to my stomach. My friends live, I lived down there for many years. But I envy it so much is that they have this overblown, outsized sense of their own like self-importance culturally, not just to the state, but like to the South. They like the center of the South. It, it happens on Johnson Street in Lafayette, Louisiana, to to the people who are from there. And it's like, okay, yeah, you know, obviously there's there's culture there that's unique, and there there's really good food. I mean, it's an awesome place to live. I've always had fun when I'm there. Um, but I mean, because of that, because of that sense of pride and who that they are and what they have, you see a lot of the people that live there participating in community events a lot more and it's sort of a even if they can get mad about like what happens in their community it's there's not it's sort of a it's still us against everybody else like you don't talk about our problems we talk about our problems whereas here it's 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 just I guess it's in style or it's common for us you know to just invite it upon ourselves and just you know continue the spiral of negativity and what we don't have this and we don't have that and I think that we do have a lot of things but you have to reframe you know maybe the way you think about it and or what's important you know because again we can't be Dallas or we can't we're not going to be Austin you know but we are we, we do have a lot of great things here that we can invest in um, and I think our, our creativity and our people have a history of you know, standing on the arts and then sort of just like forgetting about it and, and it goes away. You know, you, this is a hayride and you go back to that those times and you, and you go back to the, the movie business. And, and I know that that was state, more state problem than the Shreveport community problem, but the arts continually come as a boon to Northwest Louisiana that we take for granted. And I, I really feel like, you know, 
as millennial as it is, the opportunity that I have at the Revel to broaden people's appreciation for the arts is something that, you know, it really, it motivates me every day to get up and, and go to work, you know. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna switch gears for a second. We've hinted at it, but I hadn't tackled it directly. So you you currently head up two musical acts in your free time. Uh, I put free time in, in, in quotation marks. Uh, Logan and the Legendaries, and Logan Lewis and the Tree Fitty Trio. Tree Trio. Okay, talk to me about the local music scene. Is it healthy? Where is it thriving? How could it continue to evolve to become even more vital? Um, can we just do that on a whole podcast? Because <laughs> I've been talking about it long enough, for sure. I mean, I, I, it's not Logan Lewis. It's just Tree Fitty Trio. I take a secondary role in that. I actually enjoy it as much, if not more, than my own project. Because I get to you know play the guitar and sing a lot of harmony. And that's really what the magic in the band, you know. I think it's awesome. Um, Acoustic reggae, and we like bring in non-reggae songs and make them that way. And, then, and you know, I'm singing John John Hoffman and my voice. They blend really well together. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, the project that I have, it started because uh, a close friend of mine who I did play music with from time to time, Evan Rowe, passed away very unexpectedly, at a young age, and he had just recorded some of his music. And I thought if that was me. That all the songs I've written over the last ten years would cease to exist because nobody knows them. I need to get on this and actually do something. And so it has been uh, really fun. I've got to do a lot of really cool gigs because of it. And and I'm not, I never ever wanted to make it a career. Uh, not that talented. Um, this more, this is my hobby and it gives me, it gives me joy. Um, and and our, our local scene, um, you know, well, before I get to that, I'll just say I haven't had as much time to play recently. My headspace has not been like clear enough to actually book music for myself. I've been booking so much stuff for the Revel that I haven't actually been booking our, ourselves. The band's kind of mad about it. They're like, you know, are we? Are you playing stuff? in this year's Revel? Oh no, no, I would never. No, I, last year is the last time. You know, um, maybe ever. I, I just, that's kind of nepotistic to me to book myself for the Revel. I would never do anything like that. If I and I'm, you know, I would never do anything like that for the Bowl or any event that we ever had. I just feel like it's not the right right thing for me to do but um, I think after this year I'll be able to play a little bit more it's just I'm so nervous about the job and like trying to get it it's a big job nail it and once I see it happen one time and know what we have to do to get home I'll feel more comfortable about you know at least I won't I probably won't stay up late every night unable to sleep thinking about work you know what I want to do what we want to do with with the rebel but um our local music scene is in an interesting place right now. It's gone through many phases, just like the city has. And I know that about 10 years ago, um, 10 to 15 years ago, it was really running uh, at a very high level. There was lots of venues, lots of bands. And in the years since, those venues have closed, bands have moved on, people have moved away. Um, we've gone through a dry period. And a lot of that is a bigger problem that or not say problem it's just a trend where as we become more and more uh as music becomes more and more accessible to each person and each person can curate their own music 
in a lot of different ways and avenues, the need to go and seek out or to see a live performance has greatly decreased. I mean, people still want to go see their favorite band that they got on Spotify or whatever at a concert hall or even at the Revel, but to go and to like see a local band play uh, a show, the desire is just not there. And overall, the typically the music scene itself is cultured out of the nightlife and the nightlife scene is also greatly diminished um, from what it was 10 years ago. And that's a trend nationally, you know, it's everywhere. Uh, and the street not immune to that. And what do you, what is, I understand the music piece, why is the nightlife trend what it is? What do you attribute that to? Um, Aside from COVID, which, you know. I don't think it's COVID. I honestly think it's the technology. I think it's, you know, there's too many options, cell phones, you know, uh, on-demand television. Uh, a lot of people who, you know, you used to have to go somewhere to be social. You have to, I mean, whether that's church or it's a bar or it's like the country club or if it's just the street corner, you had to go somewhere to be social with people. And now you don't have to get up off your couch. And so... The whole interaction that happens in the community now happens in your in your hand. Um, you know the discussions at work or you know in a town hall happen on Facebook neighborhood groups, and so we've got this weird thing going where people are getting that social fix. It's a cheap substitute, in my opinion, but they're getting their social fix online, and so the need to go and at least for people to, for, to participate in nightlife is greatly diminished because of it. And so the, I think that music as a whole has suffered because of that. Um, and also there's a sense of, you know, because people can call up the music on their own. I mean, I, there are people who just absolutely hate seeing live bands and more so than it ever has been before because, you know, we've become such a me-driven society, you know, we've crafted these personas for ourselves on the internet that, you know, it's all about ourselves. And when you go see a live band, the attention's on the stage, not on me. And their pref- most people's preference would be to have a jukebox, you know, so that they can, and it, it sometimes it comes under the guise of, well, I'd rather just be social with everybody else. But, you know, there's always been live performances of some type. And, and I think that the cult, like the nightlife cultures from the beginning of live music uh, opportunities, and that's not it only place, restaurants now, and that's one positive thing that we've seen over the, the last several years is that more and more restaurants want to get in the live music business. You know, they, we've got a corner somewhere, we can have live music, you know, because people will stay longer. And so that's been a new thing. But I think that right now, you know, I'm starting to see that more and more people are wanting their musicians, their favorite, you know, pop pop musicians, to actually play instruments, you know, again. (laughs) And um, and in this region, in North Louisiana, I'm really encouraged by, there's a songwriter's night that happens the first Wednesday of every month at the Tiki Bar. It starts at 6.30 really encouraged by this it's happened twice now but the level of songwriters that have come from Minden in East Texas and South Arkansas we had somebody come from Missouri 
who's a very famous, Billy Don Burns, a very famous songwriter, has written songs for Billy Nelson and all these other people. So came into town, planned a trip that he was going to do a, a studio session in the area for to come to this songwriters' night and play songs for us. And to see that from young people, like really young, young, young songwriters, uh, is encouraging because there's sort of this positive kernel of like everybody's sort of excited about something that's not everybody else knows about yet and they're building into each other and always it's every every good music scene always starts with a community of musicians who are pushing each other to be better you know uh, Memphis's renaissance with Lucero and Corey Brandon and all that's how their music scene I and mean, I had a conversation with him about this that the Memphis you know, Americana music scene was non-existent until these bands came around, and it was because they were all going to see each other play all the time. They're all friends, and they all pushed each other to be better. And they collaborated a lot, and it became, you know, they sort of were the early adopters and innovators of that movement of of attention that people place on on that type of music. And so, um, I think we can do that here. It's always going to go through seasons, you know. The number of venues available is a deterrent. That's a problem that we have. We don't have a lot of venues available, for, especially for bands, especially bands that are in our region. Because, you know, that's a great thing, too. When we can swap with Baton Rouge and we can swap with New Orleans bands and, you know, you can travel to both places and open for each other in your hometowns. And we don't have a lot of places you can do that now. And so I would like to see that return and hopefully you know, we'll get back to it at some point. Love it. All right. So for a number of years now, you've been in a position of selling the shreveport Bozier area, whether it was marketing a football game in December and trying to entice people to travel into the area for the event or convincing musical acts or artists to come participate in the Revel or Farmer's Market or one of the other numerous events you oversee. When you're selling our strengths, what do you emphasize? Or in other words, how do you sell this area to someone who has never been here before? Hospitality. That's the beginning, middle, and the end. I mean, when I was at the Independence Bowl, we talked about this all the time, you know, because people here just, they don't realize the reputation that the Independence Bowl has across the country, not just with the other bowl games, but also with these schools. We have the best hospitality of any bowl game, and that includes the New Year's Six. We may not be able to buy every player, you know, like a, the their own game system to play while they're in town. You know, we have some. Uh, maybe we don't throw as big a parties for the sponsors and the donors as like the Peach Bowl does, but the teams that come here get treated better than they do anywhere else. I can't say how many times we heard from teams that just went to like the Orange Bowl and said, man, you guys like make them look terrible, you know, at hospitality by the way you treat us. And we go to bowl meetings with all the other bowls and they jokingly call us a hospitality bowl because we give so much to people who come to visit. We want them to remember us, the people, um, and not the negativity. <laughs> you know, I mean, gosh, man, the, the number of times that the, the team has come in and at a press conference right before the game said that this has been the most humbling and 
beautiful experience that we've had, you know, the way that people have treated us here has been exceptional, you know, and that, and then, you know, that happens somehow the local community, I mean, it gets reported. Not that the media, our local media is not reported. They do. And nobody cares. You know, they just, they're like, yeah. But, you know, you let one guy who's not even really a, like last year's BYU game, you know, one guy who's like a blogger, not even a real beat writer. He's not even classified to be a beat writer. A guy who actually does not even get credentialed to go to their games, you know, in in um, Provo. So they don't take him seriously. Says negative stuff about Shreveport, and it becomes the topic of conversation right after we just hosted teams who love their stay here. That becomes a common conversation. So, you know, I think that we have to, as a community, realize that we have that going for us. Because if your family comes into town, you know, and you live here, you're going to roll out the red carpet for them. You're going to do what you can to show them what's the best place to eat. You know, and we do have a lot of uniqueness here. There's some 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 restaurants that we have here we should be extremely thankful for because they're not like, I mean, they're the envy of, of large cities, you know, and I, I have a couple in my mind where I'm just going to take off. But, um, you know, we create ways to entertain our guests. And if we can continue to build into that, because so much of what our economy here has been built upon for since the 90s has been hospitality and entertainment and tourism. Um, it, it was you know, when a lot of our manufacturing stuff closed down became the new focus. We have to continue to invest in that. Sometimes these new toys come available and we play with it for a couple of years and then we just forget about it. And I think that you have to, as a community, still reinvest in those toys to make them viable. And I think about, um, you know, the facilities that we have at Festival Plaza River District and uh, the new Comet Park and I think that they're opportunities. They're not just boondoggles. They're opportunities for us to celebrate and if I'm selling the area, what I'm selling is the walkability of our downtown, you know, the entertainment that we have on both sides of the river. You know, that's not just Shreveport. I give a lot of love Shreveport because I live there and I work in Shreveport. The city of Shreveport does, has done has moved mountains for the Independence Bowl and for the Revel. And so, naturally, I'm going to, you know, talk more about them because I appreciate what they've done for the nonprofits that I've worked for. But Bossier has a lot to offer as well. And you have two sides of the river that, you know, maybe people don't necessarily like to cross over, but our visitors do. It's nothing to them, you know, to just cross over the river and go to the river walk or cross over the river and come to downtown Shreveport. So we have, you know, entertainment. We have, we do have some nightlife that's available, but I think our hospitality as people is what really we we should invest in more, more than anything else. All right, so I'm down to my last two questions for you, and both of them you've hit a little bit, but take them as, as far and wide as you'd like. Um, the first is what's holding us back from being one of the great small cities in America? Yeah, we touched on that in a couple of different ways. Um, those facilities that I talked about, you know, that we have, the venues that we have, we need to reinvest in them, I think, you know, when you 
new new uh, development is always sexier than revitalization. But I think it's pretty apparent that a lot of this of our community needs to be revitalized. And I know that building new development is really good for uh, people's excitement, imagination. Maybe it's good for contractors and um, it gets our our leaders a lot of attention. But I think revitalization is the key. I, I just saw, um, what was it? It wasn't Lithuania, but it was, a, it was a country in Eastern Europe. Um, I can't remember. Anyway, they have like 12 blocks of their downtown that they, uh, 10 years ago, decided to just pay for the streets and not have any cars. And at the time, only 40% of their residents supported it. And now, 98% of them could not imagine ever going back. Because now, this is a new, it, was, it took a vision of something something different. They revitalized their downtown by making it walkable, making it, you know, um, it was in just a different vision there. And I'm not saying that that's what we have to do with ours. I'm, you know, we couldn't, we have highways, US highways that go through our downtown. But I do think that like, revitalizing the structures that we do have may not necessarily get the most attention but over time it will make people feel more pride in their city and participate more and I think you know there's some really great opportunities we just have to invest in it and I think what's holding us back is what's holding a lot of other people back right now in terms of the workforce is it's difficult to recruit my friends at uh, at SPAR I have a friend uh, a good friend uh, that I've made over the last year or two uh, who's a division manager for three divisions so he runs three people's jobs and these are high level jobs this is like you know second level third level from the top of SPAR and he's over three divisions with like six or seven hundred people working for him, and his workforce is only operating at about sixty-five percent of its capacity because they have a hard time recruiting people to work. And it's not that they don't want to; it's a difference of pay and work, uh, the what type of work it is, and the pay. You know, but we have a hard time just investing more in our city employees because it's sort of this cyclical battle of. Well, we shouldn't pay any more because they're doing a bad job. Well, maybe they're doing a bad job because they're not getting paid enough, you know, and maybe things aren't getting done because you can't get enough people to get the work off the desk to accomplish all of it. And I hear stories of things just like that happening all the time, you know, and we get frustrated as events. I talked to another festival about this yesterday. You know, we get frustrated that there is money allocated for certain projects that we need done. And we can't just get to the point where a contractor or a contract's bid out, you know, and, and the work starts. And then we're four years later and we still have, I mean, the money's there. It's right that we just, they can't get to it. They don't have enough people. They don't have enough time. And so, you know, I think we could probably give our, our community a break from time to time, you know, especially, from, you know, the municipal part of it in Caddo and Bossier Parish. Cut them a little bit of slack, you know, until you're actually in it and realize how difficult it has become uh, because you know the 
the local uh, fast food business, if you're a franchisee owner that owns a bunch of them and you have a hard time, you know, hiring people, this, the city of Shreveport, city of Buzzer is not immune to that either, right? And, the, and, the, and they have their own challenge. And I think that it's, it's just, I can really feel like the, the, the sprawl that we've kind of developed is not terrible because it's allowed us the opportunity to have micro communities across the, you know, the greater city region. But we still have to have a place where we come in the center, right? We still have a place where we all come together. And to me, with the Revel, like, that's what I want. I want, you know, it's a big part of my pitch, you know, that I am concerned with creating a, an atmosphere where people want to come and sit down at a table and stop doing this, you know, start doing some of this, taking pictures, and sit at the table and break bread and just together, you know, because when we do more of that, we find more in common than we do apart. And um, and so we do, I mean, I, it's, I can only, you know, work within the, the, the lines of the field that's drawn for me. I can't affect what the city councils or what, you know, the mayors or, or anybody else is able to do or how the votes go or what's the most priority that we place from our, our community here or there. But I can't affect the, what the Revel offers to people. And I feel like it is a piece in the bigger picture. It's really weird for me to be to go from being a person who's been watching on the sidelines for six years the chess game being played to now being a piece on it to be moved around <laughs> it's been very odd it's kind of scary sometimes because uh, I don't like that type of attention or that responsibility is is a lot to handle um, but you know what holds us back the most I really do believe is that we just don't invest enough in ourselves and we don't support ourselves or each other enough I find a lot of value in people who can do things that I cannot and I find a lot of value in and people who maybe that's the other thing that we you know the Independence Bowl and the Rebel have started to do this is something that's important to me so this is why we started to do it is we may not always see eye to eye with certain people but they can still be useful right to you and you can be useful to them not focusing on the what we don't like or the, the differences but where do we connect and there have been relationships that have gone sour based on the first meeting, you know, with the Independence Bowl, for example, and somebody, you know, they were like, we're never going to work with them. And we found a way to, like, find a place for that person to sort of thrive and who once was, you know, a community poster for the bowl and did, didn't say anything very good became one of our biggest allies. And that happened multiple times with multiple people. And... Finding that common ground is really what is going to take it to the next level. Um, you know, I don't know, I'm kind of rambling a little bit because those are all things I'm passionate about. I'm trying to think about specific um, instances without making any names. No, that's all. <laughs> that's all perfect. <laughs> but yeah, um, I guess I guess mainly overall, I just you know, I find myself being overly positive, even though it's difficult sometimes. You know, it really is, and I know. You're not going to change some people's minds. I know that there is an element of, you know, the community that wants us to be what we were in 1977. 
and that's not realistic anymore and can't do anything about that you know but we can affect now and we can there you know we, we just have to focus on you know what what we can work on And my last question is, again, we've, we've touched on a lot of this, but <laughs> what will propel us forward in the years to come? As a community? Yep. Our nonprofits, I think. I think our nonprofits will propel us forward. Um, that's another place. That's another community, just like the music community, that... can inspire change in the right way. And a collaboration between nonprofits I've seen become a lot more um, prevalent than it was maybe when I first got here in 2016. And maybe that's just because of where I'm at now. Because while I wasn't, you know, nonprofits mostly dealing with like sports and, and part, you know, uh, uh, community, Helping your community. Now I'm more involved in nonprofits that are you know centered around the arts, and then also the ones that are involved in the community. So I kind of seen like a wide range of them, and I see more and more of them uh, working together on things, which I, I find to be um, inspiring. The Independence Bowl, I get, I gotta give them props. They, you know, we, I was there when we developed it, but. Um, for, it was a conversation we had coming back from the Grand Canyon as a staff from a trip that we went on. And it was this first and give flag football tournament where we would partner with nonprofits, we'd partner with businesses or groups of people who cared about a nonprofit to play flag football. And they put up dues that would then be donated to their charity and they kind of sort of played for more money and the more games they won, the more that their team, their nonprofit won. And you sit to see these, a lot of people who are, you know, they work at a nonprofit, they volunteer at a nonprofit, or they donate money and they're all playing together for good, give for good. The Community Foundation, you know, brings nonprofits together in a way um, that is really, it's really cool, you know, I mean, and I have, I never really paid attention to it as much in the infinite sports. We never really made any money. And we still don't get the rebel either, you know, though there are some that make a lot more than, than what we do, but I've just been a little bit more involved in it. And um, I think what takes us, you know, what takes us forward are, you know, like I was looking at this, all the different groups here, you know, and there's just a lot, I mean, in this drawer that you have, there's a lot of good there, you know. That, it makes me feel good to look at all those groups and say this is the work that's being done in our community. So maybe it's just because it's present and it's right here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think if we, we should invest in those too, you know, our facilities and, and our community, we should invest in them. This is a way to do it, you know, just to, to work with our nonprofits. Because, you know, I mean, everything from the Y to, to you know, CADA and I mentioned the Community Foundation. There's a lot of really good being done there. Um, let's focus on that, too. I think that will that will help us get there. I don't know if that really answers the question or not, but I just wanted to point that out because um, it's making me feel really good today. <laughs> good. <laughs> well, I think you're going to make a lot of people feel good just 
listening to you, being around you at the Revel Appreciate and it. at Farmer's Market, at Cork, oh, at Brew. Farmer's Market is and, awesome. I had to give a little pitch to that. Because yeah, please. Farmer's I'm going to be there this Saturday. Is so neat to me. I, I think it's probably the most community community event that we have uh and to explain that a little bit better like if they're if like the comments section on a local news page is like the community the most negative part of a community water cooler then the farmer's market is the exact opposite of that because there are people who would never go eat at the same restaurant together that are shopping together and there's sort of this energy there that is it just feels really good. I don't know. Maybe it's just because it's in the morning. It's not so hot. And everybody's like, oh, man, we're actually being social right now. And it's not a million degrees outside. But it just has a different just a different thing to it. You know, there's a little music and a cooking demonstration. And, like, you know, it's really good produce. There's... We, we take SNAP benefits, you know, at the, at the farmer's market. And one of our... We have a sponsor that has put up a match up to $20,000 for the summer, you know, for anybody that, that every dollar or snap that they spend, they get a dollar, you know, to spend on things at the farmer's market. It supports small business in so many, small, small business in so many ways. Um, and there's just sort of this like wholesome, healthy attitude about the whole event that don't know if there's anything else like it and I I love that I love the fact that it's diverse and that there's all different kinds of people and everybody just seems to be like in a really good mood you know even though on the back end if you don't know dealing with all the vendors is not fun you know and Emory Gentry who works for us is a saint for dealing with them because she I mean I couldn't do it but but people don't see that, you know. What they see is, you know, on the front end is it's just really it's peaceful and it's wholesome, and I love that. I, I, I really people haven't been; they need to go. It's just such a cool thing. And tell me when it is. It's every, every Saturday, and it starts at seven thirty in the morning, and it goes all the way until twelve thirty. So you have like a couple of different crowds. You have the crowd that's there at seven thirty, waiting for it to open, specifically to get the best produce. They want to get the pickings of the absolute best tomatoes, the absolute, you know. And then you have a crowd that comes in a little bit later who's coming in sort of perusing, may get one or two things. They want to drink a coffee, get a donut, you know, uh, walk around, sort of get their day started in a, you know, in a good way. Um, And then it kind of transitions into people who are just sort of popping in, you know, and they might come and and get something to eat, like, closer to lunch because we have a lot of food vendors there, too. And the food is awesome. You know, the food there is really, really good. Um, But... We're going to be doing. That's another new thing. We're actually I, we haven't we're going to announce it probably today, but next weekend. This weekend is our Let the Good Times Roll Festival edition of the Farmers Market. It's actually officially part of their event schedule, um, and we booked the entertainment for that. And when is that? What time is that? The that's festival. this weekend. It's uh, the part- festival's after, so it's later in the day. Okay. But we're just sort of a part of the weekend. Okay. You know, the weekend's activities, the Juneteenth weekend activities. And the good, let the Good Times World Festivals, you know, promoting the farmers market, and they'll all, you know, a lot of their people will be there. Some of their food vendors are coming to get, you know, produce and stuff like that. Um, and then next week, we are going to have mimosas at the market. This is the first time we've ever done it, um, but every time it's mentioned, people were, what, what date is that? You know, and so it's June twenty fifth 
We're going to do it once a month, um, and we're going to have some tw little twists. We'll put it on it in July, and the same thing in August. But for this this one, we'll have rosé and, uh, and mimosas for sale as a fundraiser for the Rebel. Um, I'm really excited about that, too, you know, because that's not something that we've ever had. And just knowing, like, I this whole pitch I made for the former market and what that is, introducing this to it will be a really cool element. I think a lot of people are going to show up for the first time because of it. So we're excited. It's really cool. Well, we appreciate you being here. We appreciate yep. all you're doing. It's amazing. Um, keep it going. You're inspiring. Thank and you. um, looking forward to the Rebel this year. Looking forward to the Farmer's Market on Saturday. And looking forward to do, doing more and more with you. Sounds great. Thanks, Logan. Thanks.